Amen. Exciting, exciting times that we're in, isn't it? Amen. It is exciting times. Amen. We really are living in Isaiah 60. You know, the glory of the Lord is rising in the midst of great darkness. Right? Now, last week I, I shared in part of the word of the Lord a dream that I had had on Sunday evening. And I kind of want to springboard off of that as I bring the word to us this morning. Um, I had a dream last Saturday night, actually several different dreams. And in my dreams all night long, I would, it would be kind of highlighted in my dreams that I was stopping and putting on earrings. Okay, guys, maybe you didn't feel the anointing in that, but I know the ladies did, okay? Um, but to me, what, to me, what the Lord was saying to me through this funny little symbol of the earrings is that when I get ready in the morning, um, after I get dressed and do my makeup and do my hair and get all ready, one of the last things that I do is I put my earrings on. And so what I felt like the Lord was saying was that he was highlighting an anointing to finish things, a finishing anointing, so that we are prepared to go out and do the next thing that God has called us to do. Amen? And then when we came into the service, I really, I really began to ponder this thing about the finishing anointing. And, and as we went into prayer, and I, I, again, I just want to invite you, we, we had powerful, powerful times of prayer this morning. Those of you that were at prayer know how powerful and the anointing uh, was at 9 o'clock. So if you want to come early, it's a, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal time of hearing from the Lord and, and touching heaven uh, at 9 o'clock. But, but last week when we came in, different people were giving testimonies about different things that had come to a finish, okay? Uh, the duties after a very long time of working to sell a, a, a house that came to them in inheritance, the, it was finished that week. Legal things were finished that week. Prodigals coming home was finished that week. In other words, it was a time of fulfillment, but it wasn't just a an end, because years ago, the Lord kind of really impressed us on the fact that the word breakthrough actually doesn't mean the end of a matter. It actually speaks of a brand new beginning. And then the word breakthrough means, if, if you want to uh, look at the actual definition, and this is not on the overhead. Did you get my overhead, Jonathan? Okay, all right. Um, it's not on the overhead, but the word breakthrough actually means a military movement or advance all the way through and beyond the enemy's frontline defense. It's the overcoming of every barrier, every obstacle, and every hindrance to progress. All right, and so what we have to understand is that we are in that season of breakthrough, and the, the key part of that definition is through and beyond. Everybody say, through and beyond. Because what happens when we finish, when we come into a season of finishing, God is setting us up for a brand new season of advancing, of fulfillment, and of progress. How many can just kind of sense that even as everything is looking so messy around here, but it indicates a season of advancement. It indicates a brand new time. It indicates a season of renewal. It indicates a season that we're advancing into some new things. And what we see visually every week when we come to church, I believe is indicative of what God is taking us through individually in positioning us for a brand new season of moving forward and advancing. And so there's a finishing now, I looked over at, at Anna, 
and Anna's five weeks away from having a baby. Is that right, Anna? How many understand that when she finishes a pregnancy, she has a brand new beginning? Right? It finishes one thing, but it sets up for a brand new beginning. And so that's the picture that I want you to have as we go into the word, um, because what the Lord really kind of stirred in my heart was to preach a little bit about running the race and having grace to run the race so that we can finish. How many have some things that you would like to see get finished? Okay, before you, since you just raised your hand kind of like this, I want you to actually take out a piece of paper or get out your electronic device and write down something that you want to see get finished. Something that you want to see fulfilled. Something that you want to see come to a finalization. Because I find so many people are in this place where they're waiting and waiting and waiting, and then you just kind of lose hope in the middle of the waiting process. So God wants to bring us to a time of finishing. As you're doing that, I'm going to read to you from Zechariah chapter 4. You can put up that next slide, Jonathan. Zechariah chapter 4. And it says, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, let me just stop there for just a minute. Zerubbabel was the governor of Jerusalem. He was the, the, the governor that was positioned in Israel to finish the completion of the building process. And Zerubbabel's name literally means to flow away from confusion. How many would like to see yourself move away from confusion and into clarity? This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might. Not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. There's the finishing anointing. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you for who has despised the day of small things. How many know that God is faithful? He that is faithful, that has begun a good work in you will also be faithful to finish it. Now, how many know that we never actually get finished in our Christian walk? How many know that there's not a place that we graduate from being changed into his image? Come on. Being changed into his image from glory to glory, that's a daily process until we're standing in his presence at the end of, at the end of all time. Amen? But I believe that God wants us to understand that there are finishing points along life's race that God wants to bring us to. And each finishing point brings us to a higher level of release, of advancement, and of going to the next level in our race. So I believe that that's what the Lord wants us to have as this picture. Now, uh, Paul Lackey got up, Prophet Paul got up, and started prophesying my message this morning. So I want to go next to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I love it when God prophesies your message. Amen? Because he actually used this, and actually Nick, when Nick was leading worship, Nick actually quoted this scripture too. So good job, Nick. Okay, so this is just the third confirmation of what the Lord's trying to say to us this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud 
of witnesses. Everybody say cloud of witnesses. We're going to come back to that. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by all these witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one that inspires us to run this race, and he's the one that's at the, big, at, the, at the starting line sounding the gun saying, go, go, go. But he's also the one at the end saying, come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. That's the picture of Jesus. That's the one that, that he's the one that has set the course for us. But it says, it starts out by saying, therefore. Bishop Hammond said years ago, when he was teaching us in Bible college, he said, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to stop and look what it's there for. Okay? So therefore is a transition word. What is it transitioning us from? It's transitioning us from Hebrews 11 into Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of the heroes of faith. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all the heroes of faith from the word that laid a course for us, that gave an example to us, that some of them even gave by the sacrifice of their own lives, but gave as, were given as an example for us of pressing in and finishing the course that God has given to us. And it talks about how they did this by faith. So it says, therefore... Seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who is the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews chapter 12 is referring to? It's referring to Abraham. And it's referring to Sarah. And it's referring to all the great, the great people that are named in Hebrews chapter 11. It's referring to all the great mothers and fathers, spiritual giants down through the ages that have gone on to be with the Lord. And as they're in heaven, they're staring over the balconies of heaven, looking down on this earth, and they have become our cheering section. Come on, they're in the stands cheering you and I on in our spiritual race. Come on, Abraham's up there cheering David Durano on and saying, come on, son, you can do it. That's just the coolest thing. Now, understand, we're not talking about talking to the dead. Let's just clear that up right there. But what I'm talking about is, do you realize that they can see what's happening on earth? They might be in heaven, but they can look down here on the earth and see what's going on. They can see how you and I are running our race. If you will, it's kind of the picture of the passing of the baton, generation to generation. 
Now here we've got four generations that are running together in this race. But I'm talking about previous generations that have gone on to be with the Lord, that as they passed into glory, they handed the baton to the generation behind them, and they said, listen, we've already set a course. We've already made some accomplishments. Now you take the baton and you run. Come on, people that have given their lives. Let me tell you, today in Iraq and in different parts of the world, there are Christians that are giving their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And those people become a part of this cloud of witnesses. I was thinking about that the other day, and I was thinking, think about a Christian in Iraq right now, perhaps that has given their life. We're hearing horrific things are happening over there to Christians. Think about those Christians joining this cloud, this crowd of witnesses looking down into heaven, from from heaven onto earth. Think of those Iraqi Christians that gave their life so that they didn't have to renounce their belief in Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about the American church. And about how so many have watered down the gospel into something that is all about how blessed we are, how prospered we are, how many cars we have. Listen, I believe God loves prosperity, but understand that is not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that God wants to save men's souls out of the pit of hell. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus died, gave his life on a cross so that we wouldn't have to die an eternal death. The heart of the gospel, and I just started thinking about the the cloud of witnesses in heaven looking down at the church where people get mad if we don't get our prayers answered the way that we think God should answer them, and so we pout and have a pity party. Well, I'm not going to go to church. I'm talking to people that are at church, so. I'm not going to pay my tithe because God didn't answer my prayer. You hear what I'm saying, guys? The previous generation has sacrificed so much for what you and I have. We've got to take that baton, and we've got to run. We've got to run on the foundations that they've built. We've got to run on what the great reformers have established for us. Bishop Hammond's been preaching about a third reformation. Let me tell you, we can only have a third reformation because there was a first reformation when Jesus came and Jesus changed the way that we relate to God. And there were men and women over the next several hundred years that were willing to even give their lives for the truth of that reformation. And then almost 500 years ago, Martin Luther came along and started the Second Reformation. But even prior to that, there were men and women that were giving their lives, that were being burned at the stake, that were being uh, put to all kinds of torturous death for the truth of the gospel of the Reformation, that the just shall live by faith, that we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith. And for the last 500 years, there have been those that have been reformers, restoring to us the truths. Let me tell you why this is just so passionate in my heart. Uh, Yesterday, Apostle Tom and I just got back from Topeka, Kansas. Jonathan, if you'll bring up the picture of the door. 
um, at the beginning of the year, we got a we got a letter inviting Bishop Hammond and Apostle Tom and I to come to this conference in Topeka, Kansas, to a group that we'd never heard of. Um, and um, but Bishop Bishop was taking a sabbatical year, so he wasn't able to be there. Um, and so Apostle Tom and I went out. This is a very faint picture. I apologize, but just leave it up there for just a minute. Um, and so as we, as we went to this conference, it was a conference that was called Joining Generations. And at this conference, not only at this, we were, we were apparently representing the Isaac generation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because there were speakers that were younger than us, and there were speakers that were much older than us. As a matter of fact, one of the speakers was a man named Ralph Wilkerson. How many know who Ralph Wilkerson is, okay? Ralph Wilkerson um, and his wife, Aline, were the, the founders of Melody Land Christian Center in Southern California at the time of the Jesus Movement. And they won souls, they cast out devils, they released healing back in the 60s and won a whole generation of hippies. That's really was at the forefront of the Jesus movement. Their church, I think, grew to be 17,000 members, and most of them were hippies that came out of the drug culture of the 60s. He's almost 90 years old. I told Bishop if he'd have come, he'd have been one of the young ones there. He and his wife were there, like 90 years old, and he was a keynote speaker, preaching the gospel. Come on. Preaching with a fire, urging the generations to take up the baton. Urging the generations to say, listen, this is about Jesus. We've got to get back to talking about Jesus. Challenging the generations. And then he and his wife, 90 years old, and listen, she, she can't read her Bibles, Bible anymore because she has issues with her eyes. But let me tell you, that woman is still full of spit and fire. She will tell you what she thinks. Let me tell you, when you're 90 years old, you can pretty well say what you want. And they stood up there and they challenged the next generation and the next generation. And the generation to come. They're not done. See, in this ministry, we don't talk about passing a baton. I mean, there'll be a, there'll be a time at some point when Bishop's like 150 years old that he goes home to be with Jesus. But see, what, what we want you to see is that this is about generations running together. Generations running together. Raising our kids, raising our grandkids to run together. But let me tell you about the place that we went. Because this pastor, pastors a very small church, and he was able to buy this building. And this is the door. This is a, a door from that building. It's not a very good picture. When we went to this building, it was dark. It was storming outside. I think it's very cool that on the other side of this door is a window that looks outside, and it looks like it's daylight outside, but it was actually dark and storming and lightning. So I don't know if I just caught the, the picture when lightning was flashing or exactly what happened, but um, let me tell you about this building. This was a building in 1898. There was a man named Charles Parham. How many know who Charles Parham is? Charles Parham 
um, was really the reason that we ended up having an Azusa Street later on. Because in 1898, he was a Bible school teacher. He developed a Bible school called Bethel Bible Institute in Topeka, Kansas. And in 1898, he gathered a student body of, of individuals that came together. And for several years, they studied the word, they fasted, and they prayed, crying out for a second Pentecost. Crying out that God would release the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as they studied the scripture, they felt that one of the initial evidences of being baptized in the Holy Spirit would be the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, up until this point, right around 1900, there's, there was no open revelation that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues. Now, Bishop has written a book called 70 Reasons for Speaking in Tongues. Matter of fact, Bishop, I, I saw a, uh, an advertisement in Charisma last night that said, 10 reasons the devil doesn't want you to speak in tongues or something like that. So maybe there's 10 more reasons, okay? But understand this. For two years, they were in this building. This building. You know, it's just an empty building now. Doesn't have power to it. No electricity in the upper floors. But I'm telling you, we started walking through those rooms. We started walking through Charles Parham's office. We started walking through um, the, the place where the students lived. We, we went up to the, to the very top floor, the upper room, where they would pray for hours on end, crying out for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, there's a tangible presence of the Lord. Because even now, people come from all over the world to come back to dig a well. Like we need to understand what's been purchased for us. We need to understand what Jesus did on the cross, but we need to also appreciate what the, the cloud of witnesses has done in laying a track for success for you and I. How many are glad that we don't have to go back now and cry out for years and years for a baptism of the Holy Spirit? How many know you can come down right now, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you can get filled with the Holy Ghost right off the bat, right? Just right now. Come on. You don't have to tarry. You don't have to wait for years. They prayed here for two years. Then they changed buildings to another building in Topeka, Kansas. And on January 1st, 1901, a woman by the name of Agnes Osmond, Bishop writes about this in the Eternal Church. It's Eternal Church, right? Agnes Osmond actually was the first one. She asked for hands to be laid on her to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And she was the first one in modern history that had that response and actually started praying in other tongues. They say that um, she actually received six different Chinese dialects. She could speak in Chinese and she could write in Chinese. For six days, I think, she couldn't even speak English. And that began the outpouring that later Charles Parham went and connected with William Seymour in Los Angeles on Bonnie Bray Street, and then later they moved to Azusa Street, and that caused this explosion of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe it was very significant in this time of revival and this time of reformation that we were gathered again in that place because the church is in a little bit of a crisis because even people that have been filled with the Holy Ghost don't use the Holy Ghost to pray. 
Then use the Holy Ghost to operate in power. Come on, guys. We have been given such a great gift. Such a great gift. Can you imagine Charles Palm looking down from heaven and thinking, look at all the work we did, and where's the church? Why isn't the church using the gift? Why isn't the church stepping into that anointing? Why aren't they valuing what we struggled so, so, and endured so much persecution to establish? Years later, um, 1980, while I was at Christ for the Nations, I think my husband had already graduated, but came back in the fall, Bishop Hammond and Christian International were actually able to give Pauline Parham, who is uh, Charles Parham's daughter, actually gave her an honorary doctorate degree. She was a Bible college uh, teacher, and we actually, at this conference, we met Roberta Parham, R Roberta Parham Romus, who was Pauline Parham's daughter. Now, she's of the older generation, because we're talking about, you know, something for the last hundred years, but this is what she told us. She said she had, that her mother, Pauline, had offers from about 20 different places that wanted to honor her and give her an honorary doctorate, but when the offer came from Bishop Hammond, she said that she looked at his life and at this ministry and felt like this was the place that she wanted to be connected to. Isn't that cool? Could you pull up that? So this is, a, this is a picture of a door. This actually leads into Charles Parham's office, where you think about hours and hours and hours that went on here in this place. We're not just digging wells. It's not just a nice little spiritual thing. We, we're saying that we want to run this race. There's a race that's before us. And there's a lot of things that press in that want to rob us from our, from our focus on this race. So go to the, the picture of Bob and Sharon Parks. Elders, pastors, Bob and Sharon Parks. Most of you know they, uh, they, go, uh, they have summer up in Prince Edward Island, Canada. Neither one of them are Canadians, but the Lord kind of led them up there years ago. They bought a place up there. Now they've actually uh, bought a place um, in Cavendish. How many ladies remember Anne of Green Gables? Okay, it's gorgeous up there, okay? That's where the, that was filmed. Uh, Cavendish, and Cavendish was the place where A.B. Simpson started his ministry, how many know who A.B. Simpson was? A.B. Simpson was the man that really fathered the whole understanding that not only was salvation paid for us in, at the cross, but healing was paid for us at the cross. How many believe that healing is part of our God's redemptive purpose for us? Amen. God doesn't want to just save our soul from hell. He wants to heal our bodies as well. And so they actually went up there. And we're actually able to purchase a piece of property that was previously A.B. Simpson land. And now they have established a Christian International Healing and Deliverance Center right on the place of the A.B. Simpson land. And not only have they done that, but now as you see what it says on the very bottom is it says A.B. Simpson Memorial Site, founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, that... Now the entire city acknowledges and honors A.B. Simpson for his contribution to modern Christianity. And it was pastors Bob and Sharon that were, that were uh, responsible for having not just this memorial site, but a second memorial site in the city where a bust of A.B. Simpson. We're not talking about lifting up and worshiping a man. We're talking about honoring the fathers, honoring those who have paid a price for the truth of the gospel 
so that we can run, so that you and I can run. We can do message after message about how healing was in the atonement. But let me tell you, it's because this man pioneered it for us. And so as we move forward, we have to understand. Go to the next slide, that, that, uh, to the slide that says, we've got to run with vision. Listen, we've got to keep a vision of what the Lord has done for us in front of our eyes. We've got to understand that this is not just about um, you and I uh, coming to church and having a sweet worship time and going home and never living out the race that Jesus died so that we could run. The race that was laid out for us by these fathers, by these pioneers, by these spiritual heroes, these spiritual giants that have laid a path for us. I said that, that we're, in this place, we are generations running together. But let me just say this. I honor Bishop Hammond and Mom. Come on, Mom's here this morning in the back. She feels weak in her body, but let me tell you, she's here this morning. And I honor them because you know what? It was not easy. They traveled place to place. Sometimes not even getting enough in an honorarium or, or, or a financial blessing to make it to the next town, let alone feed their family. They, they, they walk through financial lack. They walk through persecution. They walk through betrayal. They walk through heartache. And they didn't quit. They still haven't quit. Come on, they still haven't quit. And I think we should honor Bishop and Mom this morning. Come on, let's give them a hand. Let's, let's honor them. Because they set a course for you and I that helps you and I to run. That helps you and I to finish our race. Let me, let me tell you, there's something about watching them overcome that gives us courage that we can overcome. And when we overcome, we hope it gives our children the courage that they can overcome. So we've got we've to run with a vision. Listen, when Gabe goes out to compete, he doesn't just say, hey, today I think I'm going to go compete in a decathlon. Come on, he trains. He gets a vision. He sets his eye on a goal. He sets his eye on, a, on an expectation for the future. I heard somebody say one time, if you aim at nothing, you'll probably hit it. <laughs> Every time, right, Dr. Chuck? Proverbs 29, 18, one of the, the foundational scriptures of this house, where there is no vision, people perish. If we're going to run... It says, looking to Jesus, we've got to have a vision of what we're running after. We've got to have a vision in a broad sense of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I, but we've got to have individual vision. What is your vision? What is your goal? If you're going to hope to finish something, you better know what you're aiming at. I put up on the screen one of my favorite script, one of my favorite sayings about the word vision, because vision brings perspective. People of vision see the invisible. They hear the inaudible. They think the unthinkable. They believe the incredible, and they do the impossible. Come on. How many here want to actually do the impossible? How many want to do things that are without limits, without boundaries, 
that are exceedingly above and beyond. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's not going to happen unless you first get a vision and start seeing the things that are impossible, seeing the things that are invisible. In Hebrews, it talks about Abraham, and it says that he called the things that were not as though they were. But here's what we do. We keep calling the things that are not as though they're not. That's what the prophetic does. The prophetic comes and says, all those things you say are impossible. Let me tell you, I'm going to do it anyway. It sounds impossible. I'm going to do it anyway. That keeps the vision in front of our eyes. It keeps us moving past the blockages, moving past the boundaries, helping us to keep our focus, helping us to set our priorities. I preached a message one time on focus, and I used F-O-C-U-S to, to stand for faith operating consistently until satisfied. Or until you finish, until you see it done. How many of you have prayed to be healed and you weren't healed the first time? Does that mean God doesn't want to heal you? Or does that mean that maybe your faith needs to operate consistently until you're satisfied? How many prayed for financial breakthrough and you didn't see it the first time? Come on, but if we stay, how many prayed for a prodigal and you didn't see him come home the next day? Diane? But she just saw a prodigal come home. <laughs> Listen, years ago, I had, a, I had a dream one night. And in my dream, I was at an airport, which I know is really unusual. Uh, <laughs> I was at an airport, and I had this gigantic suitcase, which is, again, really unusual. Okay? And I had to take, I, I had to take my suitcase up to the, to the next floor in order to check in. But there was no elevator. So I, there was a staircase, and so I had this huge suitcase, and I was struggling to get it up the stairs. I would step up one step pull it up, and then step up the next step and pull it up. And when I got to the top, you know, and I, I started thinking about, you know, the fact that this is how it is in restoration. You know, we don't just have church services like they did 500 years ago because we've had a lot more restoration. Now we pray for the sick. Now we prophesy. Now we have prophetic worship. We do things differently as God restores, and that's kind of our suitcase. But God is speaking about going up to the next level. But in this dream, I struggled to get up to the next level. And when I turned around to go and take my suitcase with me, as I turned to go, <laughs> I saw that had I just gone around the corner, there was an escalator that would have taken me to the top. And in my dream, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I understood that what the Lord was saying is I want to take my people up to a higher level. And if you want... You can do it through all your own struggles. You can still get there. But it's a whole lot easier if you take my yoke on you and learn of me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I really felt challenged from the Lord. How many things are we doing in our own strength instead of drawing on the strength of the Lord? As I laid there in bed after having had that dream about the big suitcase, as I lay there in bed, I started thinking about a time when our whole family went on vacation. And uh, we actually got a prophetic word from the MTC students. And the MTC students said, the Lord wants to give you a vacation of your dreams. And so one of the things our kids wanted to do was they wanted to go to Europe. And so uh, we were actually flew into Venice. 
And God provided for us. God gave us the money. It was just an absolute miraculous thing. Let me tell you, I have vacation faith. I really do. We work hard, you know, and I believe God for the money to do vacations. How many of you are getting a revelation right now, okay? Come on, believe God for good vacations. It's great time with your family. It's awesome time of covenantal uh, uh, time with those that you love. Believe God for money for vacations. Amen? Now, so, so we flew over to, to Venice, and we had to get from the airport to a hotel. But the problem is that the taxi cabs in Venice are about this big. I, I kid you not, they're like micro cars and they're taxi cabs. And so I started looking at our, our luggage. Now, what we had packed was, because we were going to be in hot climates and cold climates, each one of us had packed a duffel bag, a rolling duffel bag, and a carry-on. Because, you know, when you check your bag internationally, you pray that it gets to where you're going. So we each had a duffel and a carry-on. Times five, that means that we had ten pieces of luggage. That meant that we were going to have to take about five cabs at 75 euros each to get just a few miles away to get to our hotel for just a few minutes, yeah. So I went to the information desk, and the lady spoke English, and I said to her, we're trying to get to this address. Is there any better way that we can get there rather than renting all these cabs? And she goes, oh, yes. And I said, because, see, we have all this luggage. And she looked over my shoulder, and she went, oh, Americans. <laughs> I said, yes, yes, yes. And so... She said, yes, you can go on the bus, and it's only one euro per person, and it'll make room for, she said it like this, all your luggage. And so I was like, great. So we went out. We got on the bus with all our luggage. I showed the address to the bus driver, and he says, yes, yes, I will take you right in front of that place. And so when the time came, he said, we're here. This is your place. We unloaded all our luggage onto the, onto the sidewalk. And true to their word, they had dropped us off right in front of our hotel. However, what they failed to mention was that there was a six-lane freeway between our sidewalk and our hotel with concrete dividers in the middle of the road. So it was true, we were right in front of our hotel, we could see where we wanted to go, but we couldn't figure out how to get there. Did you hear what I just said? We can see where we wanted to go, but we couldn't figure out how to get there. And so we stood there on the side of the road with this mountain of luggage, staring at all these cars going back and forth, looking at our hotel, wondering what we were going to do. And my husband said, wait a minute. He said, I think I saw something. So he said, stay right here. Like we were going to go someplace, okay? Stay right here. And he runs down and he disappears around the corner. And then he comes back, running back, and he's, <sighs> he goes, there is an overpass about half a mile up the road. And so we can go and we can cross over there and go to our hotel. And so, huh? A walkway overpass, okay? And so we all took off down the road. And as we're walking down the road in this little line of five of us, people were, seriously, they were going by honking their horns, going, beep, beep, Americans, yelling at us out of their cars, okay? 
Americans. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So we get to this walkway. I don't know if Jason remembers this or not, but we get to this walkway and now all we have to do is cross over. So what that meant is we had to carry all those suitcases up. And when I say we, I mean my husband and Jason had to carry all those suitcases up. The girls and I were like, go, 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 okay. <laughs> they carried all the suitcases up. We crossed over. Then we came down on the other side. How many know, you guys, that we are in a time of crossing over? And I believe that God is going to show us the walkways. Come on, some of you are standing in a place right now. You see where you want to go. You just can't figure out how to get there. I believe that the Lord is going to show us the walkways. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Hello? Nobody liked that word. They're like, you expect us to get excited about that, Pastor Jane? It's not necessarily easy, but it's a path forward. Now, let me tell you, when we got to the other side, what we couldn't see from this side was that on the other side, the way that we had to walk was we had to walk along a narrow path. It was a dirt path. And on one side, you fell into traffic. On the other side, you fell down a 35-foot ravine. Yay, prophetic journeys, hallelujah. And so we literally had to push one suitcase and pull the other one, like this. Up the path. Very careful. But you know what? God has taught us how to navigate the narrow place. You might feel like your life is precariously balanced right now. But I'm telling you, as we look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus is the one that helps us navigate the narrow path. I know that y'all wanted me to tell you that there is no narrow path. But there is a narrow path. We've got to walk carefully. We've got to walk with our eyes open, our spiritual eyes open, looking to Jesus and remembering what Jesus has done. Remembering that he paid a price for our sins. So we've got to run. We've got to, to cross over. We've got to set our eyes on the goal. And we've got to figure out how to get there with the anointing of God. Some of you are still stuck standing on the side of the road going, this is just impossible. And you're, you've got the paralysis of analysis. Let me tell you, start moving and God will direct your path. Start moving. You cannot steer a bicycle that's standing still. Some of us are so afraid of missing it that we do nothing. Start running. Start running. And God will direct our paths. Now, Father, I break every spirit of fear that has tried to settle over people's minds. Father God, that in this time of walking carefully, that we're just going to miss it. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you direct the steps of righteous men and women, Father God. Lord, that you put it in our hearts, you give us right desires, and you set us on a course forward. Father, we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands to the Lord for that. Amen. Now listen, it says that we that that for the that that what we have to do is we have to run with 
patience. Yeah, this is not a word that we're going to shout down either, okay? If you'll go to that, yeah. Go to the screen that says run with patience, Jonathan. Skip over a couple of those. Run with patience. Let me tell you this word, patience. It is the Greek word, hupomone. Let's all say hupomone. Listen to this. It says run with patience. This is what this word means. Cheerful or hopeful endurance. Cheerful or hopeful endurance. It's the, this is according to one of the Bible dictionaries. It said it's the picture of a person who is under a heavy burden. Did we hear the word about the heavy burdens today? It's a picture of a person who's under a heavy burden, but has refused to surrender to defeat because he knows he is in his place. Because this person knows he is where he is supposed to be. He has decided that regardless of what tried to come against him, he is going to stay put and refuse to move. This is the word, hupomone, to run with patience, to run with the determination that I am not going to be moved out of my place. Regardless of what comes against me, regardless of what doesn't go the way I think it should go, I am not going to be moved. Patience, enduring with joy, the bearing of provocation, (laughs) annoyance, misfortune, or pain, without complaint, loss of temper, or irritation. Without any of those things. <laughs> without complaint, without loss of temper, without irritation. Now listen, I know some of you. I know what you've gone through these last few weeks. You know what I appreciate about Cecilia Jones? She's running for office. And there are some people out there that are, that are spreading horrible, vicious rumors about her. And they're very, very dedicated in this. But you know what? Here she is in the house of the Lord lifting up her hands. She continues to run a positive campaign. Come on. That's not easy. How I many know it's not easy when you want to defend yourself against false accusation? It's not easy when your heart gets broken. It's not easy when you get disappointed. That's why I love the song that Nick prophetically sang today. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all that it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Though I walk in the wilderness. What are the words? On on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering. Another verse says, though I walk through the wilderness. Come on. Can we bless the name of the Lord? Can we, is, is our love for him dependent on how well things are going? Come on. Do we have conditional love for Jesus? Because I tell you, his love for us is unconditional. Is our love for Jesus conditional? Do we only love him when it seems like our prayers are answered? Let me just say, if he never answers one more prayer for you, and he will, but if he never does one more thing for us, guys, what he has done already is enough.
Now, fortunately, he didn't just die to save us from hell. But if he did, that would be enough. Run with patience. Run with hopeful, cheerful endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's look at the scripture, James chapter 1. My brethren and my sister and two, <laughs> count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Hallelujah, there is that word again. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How do we get to lacking nothing? The testing of our faith produces patience. And then patience has its perfecting work, and then we get to lacking nothing. We want to go from count it all joy to lacking nothing and cut the middle part of that verse out. <laughs> All right, listen to it in another translation. Just leave that up there, Jonathan. Listen to it in another translation. Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. Everybody say, woohoo! For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And stop trying to squirm out of all your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, hmm, I don't think so. <laughs> this is the B-I-B-L-E, guys. Let me try it again. Another translation. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. A sheer gift. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Come on, how many understand God wants to make us mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way, lacking nothing? I love that people are sowing into preaching about having a good attitude. <laughs> I love that. May you reap a hundredfold back of good attitude. <laughs> All right. The last thing I want to say is we need to run until we're done. Run until you're done. And what I mean is not done like, huh, I'm done with this. I mean run till you finish it. Run till you see it accomplished. Run till you see what you've applied your faith for. L run until you see it fulfilled. And let me just say this. Sometimes you may not see it fulfilled the way you thought it was going to look like. But we need to keep running until we see the fulfillment of every promise that God has given. I'm going to take us back to Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, actually, we'll go to Acts 20 first. Acts 20. Listen to what was said in Acts. 
But none of these things move me. This is talking about horrible persecutions, tremendous challenges, horrific difficulties and trials. And it says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so I may finish my race with joy. Finish my race with joy. Listen, I know some of your races. They've been hard. They've been heartbreaking. But the promise in the word here is that we can finish our race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Run until you're done. Run until you see it fulfilled. Don't give up. Tap into the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord will give you a second win. Now, now, Gabe, they tell me that when you run, that you get a second wind. I've never run long enough to actually get a second wind. I have to confess, okay? <laughs> I was more about short distances, okay? <laughs> Jimmy's a long-distance runner. Think that you run until you hit this second wind. How many have ever hit, hit that second wind? How many have run long enough to hit a second wind? I'm so impressed. I'm very impressed. Come on, guys. We've got to hit a second wind. And when that second wind comes, it brings joy. Is that right? It brings a joy. Now, listen to Hebrews chapter 12, the, the place that we started. Run with patience. Let's stand up together. Therefore, seeing we are encompassed around about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience. Let, let, me, let me read this to you in the Message Bible. He says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Whew, I love that. In all this, outmatch against sin. Others have suffered far worse than you. Ha! To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed, so quit feeling sorry for yourselves. Now I want you just to just shut your eyes. And I've read this poem here before, but it's a poem here called The Race. It's written by D.H. Groberg. And I want you just to listen to it, and I want you to hear the Father's heart. Quit, give up, you're beaten. They shout at me and plead. 
There's just too much against you now. This time you can't succeed. And as I started to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. And hope refills my weakened will as I recall that scene. For just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. A children's race, young boys, young men, now I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win the race. Or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. And fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son. And each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they sped as if they were on fire. To win, to be the hero there, was each boy's desire. And one boy in particular, his dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field across the shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arm flew out to brace. And mid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. So down he fell, and with him hope. He couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished he'd disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for the fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished he'd quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face. That steady look that said again, get up and win the race. So he jumped up to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards again, he thought, I've got to run real fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight or 10. But trying so hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes. I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away. So far behind, so error prone, a loser all the way. <laughs> I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd had to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You weren't meant for failure here. Get up and win the race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost it all. For winning is no more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to win months once more 
and with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen, stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed the line first place. Head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen crossed the finish line last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, the father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy keeps me in my race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs at all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit. Give up. You're beaten. They still shout in my face. But another voice within me says, get up and win the race. I want us just to lift up our hands all over this place. Father, I thank you that you've put a winning anointing inside of us, Lord. We're not losers. We're winners. Father, we're not meant for failure. We're meant for success. We may go through failure from time to time. But, Father, we're going to keep getting up. We're going to keep getting up. We're going to keep getting up, Lord, until we finish the race. Father, I break shame off of us. I break disappointment off of us. I break the discouragement off of us, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, that it, where there's been delay and disappointment, Father God, we're going to keep running. We're going to keep a vision in front of our eyes, Lord. We're going to run with patience. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, knowing what Jesus did for us, Lord. We're going to get out of our pity party. We're going to get out of our discouragement, Lord, knowing that the cloud of witnesses is looking on, Father, and we're going to take the baton in our hand and we're going to finish the race you've given us Lord Father we refuse to quit we refuse it Lord I thank you Father for the spirit of excellence and for finishing grace upon our individual races Lord finishing grace on this house Lord as we're finishing a project of, of renovation and rebuilding finishing grace Lord God on, on what we're doing here Father God but the finishing is not the end of the race Lord it's a new beginning thank you for your grace Lord that sustains us in all these things in Jesus name Amen